Welcome to season two of our podcast, We Need More. Now, if you thought we had some amazing people last season, you're about to be inspired all over again. In our first episode of the season, we interview Erica Buddington. According to Complex Magazine, she's already been labeled the most fire teacher ever. The name may sound familiar because she was able to take lyrics from Bodak Yellow and emerge it with geography facts. Fast forwarding her journey, she's opening up her own school. Let's get into the episode. Brooklyn then, right? Yes. All right. Um, let me ask you this question. You love hip hop? Yes, I do. Biggie, Jay-Z, or Nas? Wow. You this is a complicated question because it's 2019. It's not that complicated. So I know it? more about them. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Who speaks, Jay-Z. Who speaks to your heart? Jay-Z. Jay? Yeah, Jay. Tell me why. <sighs> I just... And why not Biggie? I'm a lyricist, right? Yeah. I'm a huge fan of people that go hard with their metaphors and their puns and cadence. Mm-hmm. And not to say that, you know, Biggie doesn't do that or yeah. Nas doesn't do that, but Jay's just so smooth with it, yeah. right? There's like, it's his cadence. It really gets to me. And he's ride or die New York. So, yeah, you know, I think I think Biggie talks a lot about the ethos of the hood, which is dope, right? Mm-hmm. And Nas gets a little intellectual on us. And they all do, to be quite honest. But Jay, he loves Brooklyn. And it like runs through everything that he does. And I haven't, found any author, poet, memoirist, playwright, TV writer that can write about Brooklyn in so many ways, Mm -hmm. the way that Jay does. So, yeah. I come from a family of educators. So, growing up, I had a lot of pressure. My dad always instilled in me, like, when you go off to college, it's going to be your golden years, right? And he always embedded in me and all my siblings to go to an all-black college university, HBCUs, Mm -hmm. right? Why did you choose to go to HBCU? Ah, so I went to Hampton University, you know, home by the sea, um, and I chose Hampton. Ah, to be honest, I had a black school experience my whole life. Yeah. So K through 12, I had black teachers. Um, I was in a school with predominantly black and Latinx children. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until my senior, my junior year, rather, mm-hmm. where I it hit me like, oh, I'm going to have to choose a college, and colleges are very different, right? Yeah. And so... I'd never actually heard about the HBCU. Nobody um, told me about Howard or Hampton until we started to have college fears mm-hmm. and talk to recruiters. And then I started to hear the terminology more often. So I'm from a Caribbean family. I'm a first generation. Yeah. And so because of that, you know, we're, we don't know about all of that. That yeah, black yeah. excellence, right? And so um, I remember my guidance counselor telling me that they had a five-year education program at Hampton. Mm-hmm. And she knew that I was looking to be in English arts and education, and it was kind of a blend of both. Yeah. And so she said, I think you should check Hampton out. So my dad took that advice. He took me to Hampton, and that was it. Oh, you guys drove down there? Yeah, we drove down. Like, no formal college tour. We got in the car, just drove that night. Yeah. Um, the next morning, I woke up, left the hotel, and I remember getting to campus, and the first thing I saw was the water. What and I your, said... What, yeah, what was your impression on that? Because that's very different than, <laughs> yeah. than New York. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the dorm? It's by the water? Like, I can just leave my room in the morning and just like, have <laughs> my coffee or my tea here? Oh, this is the school for me. I didn't even meet the kids. I didn't even know about the academics. Yeah. It was just, Hampton was just so beautiful. And then what really got me was seeing my people everywhere. 
we're so diverse. And I didn't even know that until I got there, right? Because I'm from Brooklyn and Long Island. So in the spaces that I grew up in, it's predominantly Caribbean people from Jamaica, Haiti, Trinidad, uh, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. I'm used to, you know, New York Caribbeans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so going here, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting people from Atlanta. I'm meeting people from Oakland, Detroit, right? I'm meeting people from Tulsa. Yeah. And it's blowing my mind. I'm like, black people are everywhere, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I'm 17 and it was it was a, a awakening for me. So that's why I chose Hampton. And you had a good time at Hampton. Yeah. yeah. Who is Erica Buddington? So Erica Buddington is an educator, mm-hmm. an MC, mm-hmm. poet, <laughs> an author, mm-hmm. and someone who's just passionate about giving mirrors to our children. Right? Why all those things? Why not just one thing? I, I couldn't choose. Yeah, I was a kid who couldn't choose, and I didn't need to choose because right now I'm in a profession where I need to use every single talent that I have. God led me down the right path of not choosing. He said, you know, dabble in a little bit of everything. Yeah. And it's all going to come together, and it's doing exactly that right now. So you fell into education? Yes. Why education? So my junior year mm-hmm. um, of college at Hampton University, I was doing spoken words. So I was an HBO deaf poet. Okay. Um, I've also, you know, been a slam champion as a teenager. I don't know if you've ever heard of, like, Brave New Voices mm-hmm. or um, those teen HBO shows, but we used to do those one back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so um, back in the day, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> 2005, 2006. It's not that so, long ago. Not that long ago. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah. So I used to perform on campus, and there was a judge who used to come and watch the performances, and she really loved what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so she recommended me to a friend of hers who owned an organization um, that worked with girls that were in juvenile detention centers and girls that were transitioning out. Um, and so I remember she walked up to me after performance and said, listen, I, love, I like what you're doing. Um, but I think it would be better in a classroom. And I said, mm-hmm. excuse me? <laughs> like, and at the time, I had considered teaching. I knew that I wanted to go into education, but I was still on this, like, but I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to be a novelist and travel yeah. the world, do all this poetry first. Um, so I'm not really sure if that's what I want to settle into. And she said, I really think you have a gift. And I think that children need to see what you're doing. And so she asked me to teach a poetry class, one class. And I remember driving the 20 minutes to the space mm-hmm. and then never leaving that space. Where was it? So the space was in Newport News and they rented a house out and they would have different programming there for the girls. So girls would come and they would be shuttled from wherever they were bringing the girls from and they would have it there and then it would go back. Mm-hmm. And I never left. Like I was there all the way up until graduation. I cried the day I had to leave because Did I you? couldn't find a teaching job in Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to come home. Yeah. So I've not, and I haven't left the classroom since. So that's why education, the kids got to me. They got to me. All right. So you had a curriculum in front of you while you were teaching history. And you realized that you had to adjust your teaching style to meet the needs of your kids. Yes. How did you know that remixing or taking a song from Cardi B would match up with your kids? So this was in 2017. Yeah. So I've been teaching for quite some time at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I've used songs before to get kids to memorize everything from homonyms to math equations, right? And it's always been successful. But in that particular instance, I was teaching sixth grade history mm-hmm. and they needed to launch their ancient civilizations. It was the beginning of the year. like So they had multiple units to go through. And I remember going over all of the different ancient civilizations we were going to be touching on. Greece, Rome, China, Japan, yeah. Egypt. right? And I remember the kids, um, we did this game where they were identifying where each ancient civilization 
was on the map. Okay. And then I realized we couldn't even do that because they didn't even know <laughs> where the United States was yeah, yeah, on the map yeah. in sixth grade, right? And so I was like, okay, this is not going to work. We can't even launch ancient civilizations if we don't know the geography. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of schools have taken this route of preparing students for the test. And so they're just running drills mm-hmm. and we're not going back to the drawing. Like I remember when I was in school, we used to have uh, the laminated maps on our desks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the I teacher would ask too. us to identify a place. We don't have that anymore. Yeah. They're right into test. They go right into test prep. Starting in third grade, it's like test prep, test prep, test prep. Yeah. And so I said, nope, we're going to pause. And I'm probably going to get observed and somebody's going to be upset. And I don't <laughs> care. We're going to pause. I remember doing the activity, but it wasn't hitting the way I wanted it to mm-hmm. the, from the curriculum. And the kids kept rapping in the middle of it. So I kept hearing bloody shoes. And I was like, if they have stopped singing <laughs> this song in the middle of my lesson. So I remember grading their exit tickets. And I was very frustrated because yeah. I said, I have to go through the geography with them before we can even launch this unit. Um, just get them to know the continents, the hemispheres, the oceans. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. I went into the teacher's lounge and the song was in my head because they kept singing it. And I said, you know, I'm going to play the song. And so I, played, I went and got the instrumental. And they said, I know, I was, rap- I was rapping, right? Yeah. But just for fun. Like, I was joking around, like, with a colleague. Mm-hmm. And then I said, oh, nah, you know what? I'm going to actually do this. Yeah. So I wrote it into a song. Um, I brought it to class next day, and I told the kids, we're going to rap today. And they're like, what? I said, we're going to rap today. And after we learn this rap, we're going to jump into a competitive activity where you're going to have to identify every ocean, every hemisphere, every continent on this map. And they're like, what? There's no way we're going to do that in one minute and 30 seconds. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, you are. This is, it's Monday. Yeah. Every single day we start class, right? Before we launch the lesson, we're going to do this for 10 minutes. And I promise you by Friday, you'll know it. And they didn't believe me. All right, so what was that moment like? I remember handing out the worksheets and, you know, many kids get lyrics. They just start rapping. I'm like, I don't even have a beat yet. <laughs> but one kid caught on. He started rapping like the first few lines. He was like, yo, this is Cardi B. Like, I know this rhythm. Like, yeah, and I'm, yeah, like yeah. I'm like, be quiet, be quiet. Because like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I wanted to drop the beat on him, right? <laughs> and so when I finally dropped the beat, they went crazy. Did they? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was a little scared because I thought he was going to launch it to the, the, you know, the song. Yeah. But they actually like grabbed my lyrics and just started rapping the lyrics. Yeah. And trying to learn it and trying to be as, uh, get, get it as quickly as I did because mm-hmm. I rapped it for them first and then they rapped it next. And um, Monday, you know, I checked the exit tickets. They were like 20-something percent proficient. Okay. And by the end of the week, they were above 90%. So you use hip-hop. Yeah. To help out to support the learning. And the kids got it. And it helped out. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you have to tell the kids, right, you got to calm down a little bit? Yeah, but my, I think my principal was used to it at that point. So my principal, you know, I do, I do, I do so much gamification in my class. We yeah. use ed tech. You know, I create things that are competitive. And so... Uh, the first few weeks I was with them, because I had started t- a year prior to teaching this course, mm-hmm. um, I remember the principal used to bust in our classroom all the time because she thought there was like a fight breaking out. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was just the kids enjoying themselves. Yeah. And so after the first few times, she's like, you know, I remember people would come and observe and folks would say like, what is that? And she would just open the door and go, nope, that's just Miss Buddington. That's what she does. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. She gets the style. kids hyped. They're going to get excited. Yeah. It is what it is. Right. And so they learned, like, if that was coming from my classroom, it wasn't chaos. It was joy, mm-hmm. right? And they stopped pushing in in that way. And um, that particular time, they were really loud, but it didn't cause alarm. Like, I remember other teachers coming in after the first period when they got their breaks, because mm-hmm. I had to teach it to every period, right? So when they got their breaks, they're like, I want to know what's happening here, because yeah. I hear Cardi BB and I hear kids <laughs> rapping, right? And so it, it became um, an epidemic. Like, the, the whole school 
was rapping it by the yeah. end of the week. It wasn't just sixth grade. It was seventh grade, eighth grade, everybody knew the lyrics. So when did you know that, that at that particular moment that it went viral? So, um, yeah, where so were I you? recorded them because I used to record things and then I would post them in a private Facebook group for mm-hmm. my friends to see and say like, you know, I have a bunch of educated friends in this private Facebook group and we share strategy. And I wanted to know what they thought. And they were all like, you need to put this online, online. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't think that's a great idea. And they're like, no, you need to, you need to, I'm telling you. So I put it on Twitter um, and it had probably had like a hundred likes. And yeah. then I went to bed and I woke up and I had thousands of followers. Like I went from having 2,000 followers to having like 10,000 overnight. Overnight. And I was so like, you woke up like, yo, all these, <laughs> so all all these like, notifications on my phone. On? Exactly. <laughs> I was like, what, what happened? I was kind of scared. Like, yeah. what happened? And no, it was just, it was the video. It was a video. All right. So the video goes viral. You're getting all these phone calls. You're getting all these followers. You have this, like, all this attention that's on you now, right? But you also just continue on with your journey. And you go on yeah. and you start off Langston League. Mm-hmm. For everybody that's listening, what's the Langston League? Who? So we are. Talk to us. Talk to us. <laughs> it's amazing, though. Yeah, so we are a team of unconventional educators that teach other educators how to design culturally responsive experiences mm-hmm. and curriculum. Yeah. Educators educating other educators mm-hmm. to try to make that connection. Um, all of the educators that I employ, they use very uncon- unconventional methods, mm-hmm. um, narratives they use. And I say unconventional because they're not being used uh, in schools because they're not the traditional antiquated mm-hmm. materials that we've been using. Mm-hmm. And so it, they're all seen as innovative when yeah. in reality they've always been in existence. Mm-hmm. It's just that we're bringing them to light, right, um, in those particular spaces. And so we have clients like Google Code Next, right? And so they are a pipeline program for high school students that are interested in uh, careers at Google. And so they do everything from UX design to coding. And so we write um, their kind of, it's like a blend of entrepreneurship, social, emotional learning curriculum mm-hmm. for them. And we make it culturally responsive. That in sounds this, dope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We make it culturally responsive because it um, aligns with student multiple intelligences. And so we mm-hmm. make sure that there's media, that kids have personalized learning through tech at all times, that they're able to commandeer presenting something um, visually, but also that they do it with different styles of communication. And we make sure we use a lot of youth culture reference. So mm-hmm. we know the norms and traditions that kids have, mm-hmm. and that comes from the fact that some of our interns and employees are kids themselves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And so they give us all of, like, if we're doing anything, they're jumping in and letting us know, oh, the kids don't like this artist anymore. Mm-hmm. They like this artist. Oh, this piece of literature won't work because we read this in sixth grade already, but this one we probably never heard of, yeah, right? Yeah. So they give us input and they co-create. So when we bring that um, work into those spaces. The narratives that are first person, narratives that are multilingual, when we bring in media that isn't traditionally seen in school, so we go from just like the, the document, and then not to say that documentaries aren't the amazing, yeah, yeah. they are, but we'll bring in Ava's 13, like we're bringing in, you know, the Black Panther mixtape, we're bringing mm-hmm. in documentaries that are new and have just, uh, the Black Power mixtape rather, we bring in documentaries that are new, um, we make sure that we we take out bite-sized pieces to adhere to the particular grade level. If I'm a sixth grader, right, yeah. I can't sit down and watch something for 15 minutes without you stopping it, mm-hmm. pausing it, checking for understanding. I can't sit down and, you know, internalize this without you creating some sort of methodology to engage me along the way. Mm-hmm. And we would think that that's just common sense, right? But the reality is that those things are not taught in 
schools that train educators, mm-hmm. right? And so we come in, and when we say culturally responsive, we're not just talking about race, ethnicity, and heritage. We're also talking about the way that children learn. We're also talking about the traditions that they share. Mm-hmm. And so because we're young educators, because we're in tune with the kids right now, and because you know, we listen to hip hop. We yeah, watch yeah, all of yeah, the shows yeah. they watch. We immerse ourselves in you the culture connected. that they're interested in. We're able to create curriculum that looks exactly like who they are right now. So let me ask you this. Do you build like curriculum from the ground up or do like certain um, establishments come to you with something already in mind and then you just take it and just redesign it? Right. So Mega Evers College has a program called Reenvisioning Our Lives Through Literature. Um, they call it the Role Program for short. They push into high schools, neighboring high schools in Brooklyn, and they teach um, this really dynamic uh, curriculum. Every year it changes. So this yeah. year they did something with memoir where students are writing their own memoirs but they're first reading memoirs um, and essays from Jesmyn Ward's The Fire This Time. Mm -hmm. Students were really excited about reading literature that reflected their neighborhoods, that reflected the things that they were interested in. And so we came in and worked that from the ground up. So the Mm -hmm. client gave us the book. They said, this is the central text that we want to use, but we needed to connect to students that are in the ninth, 10th, and 11th grade. And so what we did from that point is we took a survey of those students. We know exactly what those kids are interested in. We talked to the teachers, we talked to the community, and then we start creating some sort of sample curriculum Mm -hmm. for the client. We present it to the client. The client is like, oh, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. Let's see how it works on the kids. They see how it works with the kids. Mm -hmm. And if the kids love it, they usually bring us on to finish the rest of the curriculum. So that's when we're working from the ground up. But sometimes folks have curriculum written already and they just want us to put a splash on it, right? So um, an example of that would be TechSpark, right? We work with TechSpark. They are a... Uh, I would, they would, they're like the Black Girls Code of Canada. Okay. Right? <laughs> um, and so TechSpark, um, but they work with boys and girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they yeah, work yeah. with K through 12. Okay. And so they do coding, they do UX design, front end web development, et cetera. And we came in and created everything from an affirmation that they say when they first start class mm-hmm. that was very hip and just bring students into the circle. We create um, alignment with culturally relevant items and concepts that they want to introduce to children. Mm-hmm. So we connect things like linkage when they're learning about links, mm-hmm. right? To a family tree, to your cousins and your aunties and things like that, that right? Idea. We make it more culturally relevant. So they already had a pre-written curriculum. We just came in and spiced it up with some of the language and the flavor that the kids of the Toronto area area are saying right and some of the culture that they're interested in at this time so i heard langston league has a sneaker yes what's that about (laughs) um so we do have a sneaker it's a nike uh react 270 it is in our infamous gold and black and white yeah our like yellow gold and um Man, it was a very exciting experience. I got a chance to design the sneaker alongside the Cultivator and Nike team. I got a chance to tell them my inspiration behind it. You were at the table. Um, Yeah. (sighs) Like, they let all the designers... Well, there were a few people that had this opportunity. Yeah. um, But we all had the chance to work through our designs and the inspiration behind our designs with the teams. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. Um, And the experience... You know, they, they had us really think through what do the colorways mean? Like, you know, when you when you buy a sneaker, you think like, oh, blue, white, green, boom, yeah, sneaker. Yeah, like- no, that's not how it works at all. They want you to come up with an entire philosophy behind why your sneakers should exist. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I wanted to do black and white with like this yellow gold colorway just flowing through it was because I feel like my students are that illumination mm-hmm. in this black and white world, right? It's representative of, you know, the league being this light 
coming through. Yeah. We're going to shine through. And so we called it Langston League. Of yeah. course we did. Of course. And the kick, um, it sold like crazy. You know, it's really cool to go to events, shows, panels, wherever. Man, I'm in D.C. right now. That's dope. Went to see my cousins at a bowling alley last night. Like, they live in this area that I haven't seen in a while. And they were wearing my kicks. They like, were. <laughs> that was crazy. Yo, I was like, that, what? How did that feel? It felt really good. It felt really good. <laughs> so, I mean, even StockX has, like, some of our sneakers. And they're auctioning them off. So, I can't even buy my own sneaker right now. <laughs> like, unless I bid on it. Right? It's limited release. <laughs> um, but we do have some things planned in the future. Um, I can't say what that is right now okay. for the kicks, but you know, yeah, you know we're, we're gonna we'll keep see. our eyes open then. Yeah. So you said your mother read Langston Hughes to you when you were in the womb, and that's how that's impacting you today. Mm-hmm. You had this dream, right, and then gave birth to Langston League. What's your favorite Langston Hughes poem? Theme for English B, right? Tell and, me about um, it. So the poem, it's a poem about you know his experience at Columbia University and, you know, writing in Harlem and, you know, being a black writer mm-hmm. um, with with white sponsors and white educators mm-hmm. in Harlem. And so I remember reading a lot of Langston when I was a kid. My mom and I actually used to recite Mother to Son, which is the one that's like, life ain't no crystal stair. Yeah, that's my right? favorite too, yeah. We used to do that um, while she was cooking and she would make me memorize the poems. And so when I went to school and they would try to Drop that on us during National Poetry Month. Like, you guys don't know about this poem? I'm like, yeah, I know this poem. Backward and forward. <laughs> right? Um, but I remember reading that poem, and it didn't hit for me until I started teaching in Harlem. Mm-hmm. So I would walk from, you know, 127th and 5th all the way over to, like, Amsterdam, where Columbia was, because we also had programs at Columbia. And it was a long walk. That and is a long like, walk. Yeah, it's it is. It's a heck of a walk. But it was a beautiful walk, especially during summer on 125th. Mm-hmm. The vendors are out. You want to get some books. You want some incense. <laughs> you want some shea butter. Like, it was a nice little walk. And then you get to the uh, to Broadway and Amsterdam, and they've got, like, bookstores and cafes. It, I like the walk. And yeah. so I remember um, coming across the poem again mm-hmm. and rereading it and going, whoa, this is what he was talking about. Because in that poem he talks about walking down the steps in the park that Mm -hmm. lead up to columbia he talks about being in the classrooms um with educators and other students that don't necessarily look like him and i felt like that at the time i was also going to nyu Mm -hmm. um, studying fiction and so i was having that same experience i was the only black kid in my class Mm -hmm. at the time and so i was like man this poem is different at 22 Yeah, yeah 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 and so that's why it's become my favorite poem so what's on the horizon for langston league so currently we are taking on very few clients because we are in the middle of the biggest thing we've ever done, right? What's and that? that is opening our first school. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Wow. So, um, our first school is called The League. <laughs> and it is a middle school for the arts and sciences opening in Uniondale, Long Island okay. in September 2021. Yeah. So currently I am in a fellowship called the Freedom Fellows Institute. They're based in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm traveling the United States looking at different schools mm-hmm. um, and, you know, shaping my school design. But really, I'm trying to give students those 21st century skills. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make sure that students have real STEAM learning across disciplines, right? Because I'll be honest, I was the kid who 
would make MySpace profiles, Black Planet profiles for my friends. Yeah. Right. Get paid a hundred dollars a pop to do that. And had no idea what I was doing, but I was coding. Yeah. Right. I learned the languages online. I found my dad's HTML book. And I was like, I just want to learn how to make my MySpace fly. But I was coding. Yeah. I was a kid who was walking past antiquated buildings and I was really curious about them. And so I would Google, where is this building from this particular address? Like what you know, when when was it built? Who owned it? And I would come back home with stories. And I was also the kid who was just obsessed with all things literary, mm-hmm. right? And so I was like in Barnes and Nobles at Barnes and Noble every weekend. I was yeah, gonna say yeah, Barnes yeah. and Noble as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Barnes and Noble every weekend, and um, you know I was always in cafes reading. And so if my parents went to parent-teacher conferences, my history teacher would say, "Well, she's not a good researcher." Right, and then my ELA teacher would say, "I mean, she reads sometimes. But we'd like her to read more." Really? Yeah. And then my computer science teacher would say, "You know, we don't really think she's interested in technology." Or your parents and so my parents like, were like, "What is not making sense?" And so what was the issue was there was no bridge. No one was creating a bridge between what was happening in my world when I stepped outside of the classroom, right, right or what was happening in the real world, and what was happening in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so I'm pretty sure that if my computer science teacher told us that coding could change the way that people saw us online mm-hmm. and we were all trying to like be that person online mm-hmm. right um we would have jumped at the chance to learn how to code yeah. right i'm pretty sure if our history teacher showed us that we could research things in our lives right there and then yeah right that, that, that you know that was a tool that we could use and created that bridge we would have been a little bit more excited about history so that is a big thing for me um something that i'm actually writing into my school plan right now and into my budget is an initiative called Restoring the Village. Mm -hmm. And it's about having one-on-one counseling, not just for students, but for families. We're going to have small group workshops for families and also for teachers, right? So there will be two counselors in my school Mm -hmm. at all times and not just the kids and the families. The teachers will, can take their prep period or you know time after school whenever they want to schedule a session with our counselor and talk through what they're experiencing and not just in the classroom because it's a private space they can talk through whatever they're experiencing Mm -hmm. and so i'm really excited to get that off the ground there are a few schools there's a there's a a school actually we observed in dc that has that model we were able to um, I remember we were walking through the hallway and there was a teacher that was like, I gotta go. It was great meeting you guys. And the principal said to us, yeah, she's headed to her therapy session. That's great. And we're like, wow. oh, okay, she's leaving the school. And he's like, no, they have therapy right here. And we're like, whoa. That's and I was dope. like, yep, I-, I want that for my school. Yeah, yeah. So I'm writing it out right now and it will be um, a major piece of what I'm doing because it's helped me through this work. This is, t- this is hard work. No, it, hard is, work. it is hard work. It is. Education, it, it really is. You mentioned earlier that you like to read. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite book? Or what are you Ooh, reading now? That's a hard question. Um, so currently I'm reading Harvard Business Review. Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to read for fun anymore. Um, but I am, I would say my favorite book is The Twelve Tribes of Hattie okay, by Ayanna Mathis. And um, it's a book, it, it can... It could be seen as a short story collection, mm-hmm. but there's a thread in each story that connects all of the stories because they're really about one family, mm-hmm. right? So it's the 12 tribes, like generations of one family, and it goes through um, different time periods in history, and it's really rich with black history. I love that book. It's a really good one. I have to do two. Um, Isabel Wilkerson's The yeah. Warmth of Other Suns. The Warmth of Other Suns. Which is about migration, and she's a nonfiction writer, um, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, but she writes 
like fiction. Like you would not even know if no, if no one told you it was nonfiction, yeah, you yeah, wouldn't yeah. even know. Really, her dialogue is on point. Her description, like she's Toni Morrison levels. I'm like, Whoo, yeah, yeah. What is this? And Say it's the book really one more time. What are the it's books? It's called The Warmth of Other Suns by yeah. Isabel Wilkerson. Yes. And the other book is The Twelve Tribes of Hattie by Ayanna Mathis. Yeah. Erica Buddington. What do we need more of in our community? So we need more student voice and student agency, just child voice and child agency, right? I struggle to be in spaces where I notice there's no input from children. And that happens quite often. Mm -hmm. And that's surprising because I'm in education, right? So I notice I am in rooms where people are deciding the fate of children Hmm. and the fate of the community as it relates to children and not one child has had any say, Mm -hmm. right? You'll be surprised as to what children bring to the table Mm -hmm. and how they they can be critical of policy, critical of anything you're planning for them, and they have great input. And I think that that's what we need more of in our community. So I want to see more teen advisory boards. Mm -hmm. I want to see more student councils. I want to see more observation teams with children on the observation team. Mm -hmm. I want to see more communities co-designing and co-creating with their kids. Mm -hmm. Super important. Yeah, Yeah, that's something you don't want to overlook. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really difficult when I'm having a conversation with someone who seems to be passionate about the work and then makes a decision without mm-hmm. inquiring um, what the community needs or what the, the children need. I often hear like, oh, we should build a community center or we want to do this after school initiative. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so how many kids have you talked to? Mm-hmm. And usually I get the reply, oh, we haven't talked to any yet. But when, we're, when we open up, I'm like, oh, when you open up, you're not even going to have any input before you even found this. Wow. Right. I want to see more student voice and student agency. I'm hoping that our education system is moving towards that hear more yeah. voices of the kids mm-hmm. erica buddington mm-hmm. thank you so much where can, where can uh, where can we find you oh you can find me everywhere um twitter at erica buddington um facebook slash facebook.com slash erica buddington yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah instagram at erica buddington you know how to do that name change make sure it was clean so yeah, you can yeah. find me on all platforms yeah thank you thank you all right if you like the show please leave a review and five stars and follow us on IG to get exclusives on our guests and upcoming guests. Now, if you have a suggestion for who we should interview next, email us or DM us. Thank you again for your support as we continue to change the narrative.